Hello, thanks for listening to this episode of Map to the Stars. Before we start, we wanted to take this time to thank the amazing contributions of Sarah Helm and Jacob Anstey. They contributed the artwork and music, respectively, which truly helped realize the vision and aura of this podcast for Michelle and I. This project wouldn't be the same without their work, and we're so grateful. We love you guys. Anyhow, we're just so excited to share this with the world. Right, Michelle? You bet. We're so excited (laughs) and eternally grateful for Jacob and Sarah. Absolutely. And uh, Sarah and Jacob. We love you guys. Yeah. (laughs) They're the best. You're the best. Uh, And thanks for listening. You're the best. So here are more of our voices. We hope you don't hate it. See you soon. Hey, welcome to part two of the Spielberg Fiverr Primer. But more importantly, this is Map to the Stars, the podcast. Shoot. Where? I'm Jeremy. Give it to me. Oh, I'm Michelle. Give it to me. (laughs) I wanted the. (laughs) You wanted the theme or you wanted the tagline? I wanted your tagline. But no, let's back it up. Hold on. Let's do it again. Back it up. This is perfect. I'm, I'm sorry. This is the podcast where we look to the stars abroad in Hollywood and the stars above in the night sky. Uh, As your filmy chartographers, we'll be diving deep and comparing and contrasting the astrological charts with the filmic work of many diverse talents uh, in Hollywood and abroad. I can't wait to get out of Hollywood, even though we're just started this. No, Um, the directors, uh, screenwriters and actors of plenty of just amazing films. Uh, So we're essentially pairing astrology with film. Uh, yeah. Michelle, our wise sage, as I will say, every no. episode is guiding us through the stars and the charts. It's a learning process. We're all learning together about this sort of stuff. Uh, talking about the Cancer <laughs> and the Capricorn. I'm learning too. Like it's super interesting and it really pairs well There's with this film stuff. So yeah. much to explore in both astrology and in film. So welcome to part two. If you didn't listen to part one, you should do that. Yeah, we spoiled alert. some stuff. We spoiled, I think, the ending of most of the movies in the last episode but that's okay they're well known et phone it'll be fine they're so well known they're so well known uh it'd be awesome if you've seen them so you can follow along with us if you haven't i think there will still be many interesting nuggets yeah yeah and if you don't like nuggets i don't think this podcast is for you this is a really (laughs) we're not crazy about nuggets (laughs) educational nuggets If you're crazy about meat, this is not the podcast for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, Yes. Welcome to part two of Map to the Stars, the Spielberg Fiverr Primer. So let's move on. Second theme we have is the polarization, the opposition of good and evil. Which seems like a theme that's present in, you know, most movies. You know, stories. You know, (laughs) know, in real life. All stories. But with Spielberg, it seems like it's very black and white in his movies. It's like the good guy and the bad guy. Most of them. Most Most of them, them, for sure. sure. For sure. Um, There are a couple different points in his chart that kind of exemplify, you know, the darker nature of some of his movies, Jaws specifically, but that opposition um, between good and evil really comes from what I think um, is his Saturn, which is conjunct his Pluto, and these are all his natal planets, um, in Leo. 
So what that means, his Saturn, Saturn is the planet of structure and restriction and responsibility. Pluto is the planet of power, transformation, life and death. So his Saturn and his Pluto are conjunct, which means that it's neither harmonious nor disharmonious, mm -hmm. but in this case, they really work together, um, or I believe they do. Yeah. And they're both in Leo, which is the creative, daring, outgoing sign. So what I grab from that and what this lovely book has helped me with as well, <laughs> um, very insightful book, mm -hmm. um, especially talking about Spielberg, because they talk about this relationship directly, is that this is the relationship that kind of symbolizes the polarization of good and evil. Pluto is the distinction itself, and Saturn just kind of pushes that to its extremes. Um, so we have that, but also that Saturn-Pluto relationship is square his natal moon, which your moon is your emotional side. It mm -hmm. is your emotions. It's your your nurturing nature. That relationship with Saturn and Pluto is square to his natal moon, which is his emotional side. It is his emotions. Your moon is, the is your deep emotions. Um, so those two things are directly conflicting in that Opposed, case. So yeah. in some of his films, we see that struggle between wanting to do good and, you know, power struggle between the bad guys or the police as a as a common presence in in jaws because in, of authority so but authority. yeah well going back to pluto because you were talking about discipline right right exactly. yeah so there, it's like a it's it's a force of authority this overwhelming presence of discipline and, and strictures against the emotional side you could even just look at that with his moon conflicting with saturn his emotions conflicting with tradition and, and Saturn's restriction. pushing Pluto out just even to the extremes. So it's the extreme versions of authority, a.k.a. Nazis. It's just a very extreme relationship in that yeah. sense. That, and it's an extreme archetype. Right. That Again, Saturn sense, tends yeah. to bring out the more negative qualities of things depending on its relationship. Yeah. Um, so with Pluto having such extreme qualities in and of itself. It's negative authority. Literally negative discipline or something. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So those two things really seem to conflict for Spielberg often. His emotional side, um, which is in the fifth house, which is the house of creativity and children. Yeah. So we see children as a theme often, you know, take a look at E.T., um, the bad guys who are going after E.T. versus uh, Elliot, who's just trying to protect E.T. So the children often comes in versus authority as well. Um, but let's break it down concretely into the film elements. So we have um, very basically this opposing forces. You know, you spoke of it beautifully, and I'm just going to be like mm -hmm. butchering it. But just authority um, and discipline and structures, you know, the structures of government uh, specifically. We see government bodies in uh, every single one of these movies. And they're, they're shadowy government agents sort of thing. They're unnamed. Normally, like, you don't know if it's the CIA, FBI. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's the point, right? They're these archetypes of it. Those, they're the extreme examples of it. Pluto, the planet, authority slash, you know, Saturn pushing that to ex its extremes. Uh, we can look at that as the mayor's authority driven by money, uh, as I was talking about previously, but then the denial, again, that I was talking about, the denial that the town isn't idyllic and perfect. And that's at odds with the safety, protection, and responsibility of family. You know, the right. emotional side and him breaking down really because he wants to protect his kids. And even just look at that as power. 
Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And the power of like before, not that I want to talk about communication. It's my favorite yeah. topic apparently. But the power. You majored in it. Uh, <laughs> don't tell them that. It completely invalidates everything I'm saying now. It's like wiped. Um, and because the. Oh, I, I can't remember. You, you want to know why? Because I'm a communication <laughs> studies major. Um, no, I can't even remember. Not to go back to communication. That's exactly what you said. Not to go go back to communication. So let's not. Let's not. Power. We're talking about power. Oh, the power power of like who commands the room. You know, Quinn with his like uh, uh, nail boards on chalk kind of thing. He talks, he communicates. So um, no, you're right. Who's Quinn? Uh, Quinn's the uh, (laughs) Quinn's Indianapolis. Gotcha. Jaws. (laughs) Quinn's in Jaws. Spielberg. Okay. So the safety. Damn. How did we get back? Uh, no, you were just talking about like tradition and, and authority and that authority, it's not even necessarily authority. It's just those who you were saying command the power in a room with Quinn and then you do the nails. Yeah, the yeah. Thing. Well, and then where that power lies and generally the power, the powerless are the children. You know, they're fighting the authorities for power or for the power to just be free. Um, and if we're even talking about fighting the shark, it's sort of like that freedom of manhood and masculinity and the the ability to be men you know they're 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 Mm -hmm. they're sharing these battle scars and these battle stories together which is a very manly act um and it's this power struggle even within the room where they're trying to command authority of the boat between quinn hooper and brody um and there's no there's no mention of the kids there's no mention at all of the wife anymore because there's just three men against the the authority or something, but it's sort of like this over extreme sort of like anonymous evil of the shark. Right. Um, so anyhow, they're, they're both attempting to save their childhood innocence mm-hmm. and their lives. Again, life and death kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, they're they're trying to protect the family and they're trying to protect the innocence of the kids as well, mm-hmm. you know, just to have them not know what the hell's out there that might kill them you know it's almost just as important to save the kids from the idea of the shark as it is to save the kids from the shark itself right you know possibly i'm just a communication studies major so i don't know um but yeah did you have anything else or did you want to move to close encounters in et yeah something else i i don't know if you kind of thought the same Mm -hmm. but back to the idea that this is a conflict that's very black and white in spielberg's movies and I just was kind of thinking because I was also reading uh, like an analysis of um, Anakin's journey in Star Wars and that struggle between (laughs) that struggle between good and evil is that with Spielberg's movies and that representation, it's not often that someone can overcome their evil nature and and turn to the good side. That's not as common a theme in his movies. So rarely, it it just doesn't it just doesn't happen as often in Raiders. What I noticed was that literal representation with the weather. Once the bad guys come into the scene with the fire and the and the winter snow outside, you know, Indiana Jones is the good guy, you know, and he's never no, he's he can't be. Oh, you thought I'm saying no? Yeah. To you. <laughs> oh my god, I thought you were putting me. I was like, wait a minute. No, I'm a communication studies major, <laughs> and you are wrong. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. In Sugarland, where you're starting to kind of feel for the parents trying to get their child back, you know, just their actions are totally against the law. And even as much as 
Goldie's character. Help me out. Lou Jean. I thought it was Lou Jean. I only learned that when I was sort of taking these notes down for this. I thought it was Eugene. Right. With her journey. And I think that one's a little, I think that one's the trickiest out of all of them with this relationship. But you see Lou Jean kind of caring for the officer that they kidnapped. You know, she's putting that jacket on him to keep him warm. And she's she loves her kid so much that she broke yeah. her husband out of jail yeah. to go get the kid. But still, by the end of the movie, it's like she's still a bad person and she still didn't get her child back. I know. It's, you know? it's like stealing the bread to save your family or something to, right. to, to feed your family. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and that scene where she takes care of the cop uh, and puts the jacket on him is exactly slash it's pretty much the exact same scene. It's the next shot. Uh, after you hear from the dad, which I previously talked about, how the father just doesn't want to, right? And that, and that, and that's the least nurturing thing you could do: uh, threatening to shoot your yeah. kid. Yeah, no and 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 that's just in complete opposition. So it's the authority again. It's sort of like working in tandem with the government forces um, and the agencies and everything. And the dad's linked like that, and he's talking through the walkie-talkies to, I mean, failing to talk mm-hmm. talk to Lou Jean, but he's commanding and threatening mm-hmm. and trying to discipline her right uh, and she's sort of this wild card but this right. this loving nurturing figure who's just a bit twisted just not necessarily on the wrong side of, on the right side of the tracks which something. is why i think that one can be less clear-cut because you know in a good way in a good in way. a great way yeah. because not when we're are trying the, to th- put everything in boxes, well, maybe not. but yeah, but yeah. Are the authority figures in Sugarland the bad guys or the good guys for trying Spielberg to uphold says the They're the good guys, exactly. So Which, that's uh, that relationship <laughs> <nope>. where <laughs> I know. So in Sugarland specifically, they are painted as the good guys in that movie, upholding the law, and then Goldie Lujine can't overcome that bad nature and yeah. and get her kid back. Know. You know, it's it's it's. You're you one f- or the other and you remain that. You still feel bad for her though at the of end. Course, of course. You do feel bad for the husband. You feel bad for both of them. It's the strength of the story. It's the strength of, of it's the strength of him as a humanist filmmaker that you obviously still feel empathy for these criminals. And so what I mean by that is this is not is not like Anakin Skywalker's journey at all. <laughs> He's got layers. He's got, layers. He's got so many layers. Do you know his middle uh, name, like the initials O? Truly, yeah, fan fiction. It's for Onion because he's got oh layers. Because he's Anakin Onion Skywalker. You had me for like five seconds, but. Uh... Uh, okay, so. I'm talking Close Encounters and E.T. This is Close yeah, Encounters and E.T. talk. Both those movies have invasion scenes. Um, just to talk about the film itself and those scenes. So the doorway is filled with blinding light. There's like this imaginary place outside of the home world. Uh, and it's the home invasion of the otherworldly beings, mm-hmm. both the government agents and E.T. and the actual aliens that you don't necessarily see in Close Encounters. And they're disturbing the domestic suburban home. So it's this nurturing – it's it's the mom. And the mom even says that in E.T. where she's like, this is my home. At the end of the invasion where they're breaking in and they're trying to – you don't know what the hell's going right. on, obviously. They don't know. Um, but in every way, he's framing it where something 
otherworldly that you don't really know. It's this extreme example of something evil, mm-hmm. right? Right. Coming into the suburban home, oh, which absolutely. there's nothing more nurturing or uh, than the suburban home, the ideal yeah. suburban home or something like that. So that's the good, the good-hearted Americana nature of it at all. For sure. Um, so those two are linked. And obviously in the end, though, and that's the brilliant thing, and that's where it isn't black and white and the true, the only true evil uh, in any of these movies uh, could be Jaws. I mean, he's just working through nature. Yeah. You know, is the shark and the Nazis. Um, those are true evil that just need to be killed and done away with. But in uh, both these movies specifically, it's a bit less, it's a bit grayer mm-hmm. like Sugarland because uh, the aliens end up being um, pretty ambiguous and just sort of like nice and peaceful. They're yeah. ambassadors of peace. And so is E.T. He Spielberg himself and like these um, DVD specials talks about how E.T.'s an ambassador for peace and gives right. kids self-esteem. You know, he's nurturing the kids themselves in the absence of the father, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. He's a dog and a dad. Yeah. <laughs> All in one. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a dog dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, through these uh, movies, though, specifically, um, the government agents, the, the unnamed government agencies, uh, which are the closest thing to evil in both of these movies, right. um, they're only truly bad in setting up barriers. Exactly. Towards communicating or getting in touch with Whoa. these beings. Yeah. I got lots of nuggets. The nice. oven's huge. It's a huge <laughs> cook of nuggets. Um, which could honestly be said for all the films, honestly. I mean, even in the government or the government, the Nazis and Raiders, um, they're wanting to uh, nurture the relationship. They're wanting to sort of like get that so they can nurture their own power, you know, not bridging it sort of weird in a way, but they're also just like, yeah, the Nazis are just getting in the way of being able to communicate, Mm -hmm. right? The paragon embodiment of evil, and they're honestly just barring the way for Indy to get in touch with these aliens, Mm -hmm. rather these ghosts, you know, these, these gods, um, well, the one true God <laughs> in this in this in this movie, but those are the ideas of it, it's nurturing his love for archaeology and the search for truth and knowledge. So if you know, there's no kids necessarily involved in Raiders. Um, there's those kids running around in the street, and they they sort of love indie though. That was the one thing I noticed about the only children present in the film is that they were just like crowding around Indy, yeah. like praising him almost. <laughs> I, I would pray. I'd kiss his feet too. <laughs> Early 80s Harrison. Oh, now Harrison. Uh-huh. Eh, maybe not. Yeah. He's gotten into like a bunch of plane crashes, by the way. He like flies <laughs> planes. Well, obviously. He just like flies these little cute planes and he's crashed them a bunch. He's badass. <laughs> <laughs> he survives. He's good. He does he his own stunts. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's it's just interesting that like you can even say that in all of these movies, um, I just have this note here. This these unnamed you know bureaucratic. The movie ends on Indy getting mad at the bureaucrats. You know the government's yeah. getting in the way of the Ark being able to get in this museum. Which if that's really it, then that's sort of like his little baby. Mm-hmm. His baby is his career, and it's the museum, and he's just nurturing that archaeological love of adventure. Which again just goes back to Spielie's right love of adventure and search. And growth through yeah. exploration. And even when Indy's faced with the Nazis who have the artifact, he can't even bring himself to, you know, cross over to of the dark side and blow up the artifact, no. even though, no. yeah, he can't, he, he just can't bring himself to. Yeah, he's just this golden hero. 
Yeah, just in all those movies, sort of bridging them all in one, uh, at least linking these two themes together, um, is just the the evil, the bad guys, no matter who they are, mostly government agents, um, you know, police force, uh, the random government agents in E.T. and in Close Encounters, mm-hmm. the alien bodies, you know, the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And in Jaws, if it's yeah. just like the mayor himself, he's just getting- Awful guy. Well, he's just- Shit, he, asshole. <laughs> I love how you're more vehemently mad about him yeah, than the Nazis. This is like a tangent. But every time I've watched Jaws, I go, yeah, a shark just friggin' ate someone and you're yeah. going to keep the beach open on the July 4th? You Stupid. You're mad. You're mad now. Because I just, mean, these are COVID times, what an so idiot. it's prescient to just think about like you're on the beach and you're just thinking of beaches right now in a pandemic, and you're like, close it down, you know? No. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keep for the sure. people safe. I know uh, it, because it's almost as it's almost more of an innocuous evil where he's like doing it for money, and it's just like the denial of it. Not that yeah, it's he sucks. not that it's any more. Not that it's actually more evil than the Nazis, but the Nazis' evil is almost incomprehensible, mm-hmm. right? It's even incomprehensible because they don't even know why Hitler really truly wants it. He just wants power or something right. like that. And the the Germans, they don't really know what they want, you know? <laughs> so they're just, they're all digging it up and trying to find it. And you really have this like nebulous idea, this, you know, but the Nazis are known evil bad guys. Mm-hmm. And this mayor, it's almost this innocuous thing. So, yeah, it almost seems shittier as a result. Oh. Because, because though, because his son is in shock. You know, you get that. Yeah. Element. You don't – any kid just sort of in shock. A kid's already died. You have the mourning mother. Um, he's got blood on his hands for sure. So I get it. Um. Yeah, okay. Do you want to talk about theme three? Do you want to talk about it? Because you've talked about it already. I've already spoiled it. Uh, yeah, what's going to be great is that in part one, we're going to be talking about theme three. Um, we didn't know that it was going to be split into two We just talked parts. for so long. We've, well, I think that we bit off. This is all a learning experience. This is our, totally our first episode. Okay, no, yeah, I'm, I've already spoiled... Our third this theme. This third theme in part one, unfortunately, so I'm sorry. Uh, that you would have had to wait so long to listen to this uh, to find out what we're talking about in childhood, Mm -hmm. which is possibly, you know, communication, good and evil, that kind of takes place in a lot of other movies. You have people talking. You know, you have miscommunication. You have a lot of that kind of stuff. But childhood is his calling card. You know, the idea of kids and bringing audiences back to their childhood and this nostalgic feeling. I mean, I think that, people in the early 80s watching et had a nostalgia for the early 80s already <laughs> you kind of think right. he just imbues this sort of nostalgia for childhood and this wonderment so do you want to speak to that and set the scene yes Michelle? of course so as we mentioned at the beginning of the last episode at this Boom. point yeah. his fifth house is his most dominant house and that is the house of both creativity and entertainment but it's also the house of uh children so Themes of children permeate many of his movies, as you mentioned, Um, and that idea, E.T.'s so exemplary of that, you know, longing for the familiar and longing for home and childhood. And you've talked about, you know, the absent father and how that idea comes up a lot. But I think for Spielberg, the emphasis is not so much on his parental figures, the emphasis is really on, even in movies that don't feature children as the 
protagonist because many of them don't. It's yeah. Even in Indiana yeah. Jones, it's more that the emphasis on making the audience feel childlike with those themes of adventure and infinite possibility and just the idea, maybe the naive idea that the world is good Child. and everything turns out well. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Well, and that's um, – it's, it's like an ideal – it's like when you're a child, everything can be possible. Magical. 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 It's like it's your the ideal magic of movie making of kind of thing of Spielberg movies. And he his biggest critique, which is now what basically a lot of people are saying about the Marvel movies, is that it's this infantilization of the audience. Right. So it's making audiences into I mean, it's, you know, it's the thing of like watching interviews throughout the 80s and 90s. Uh, the interviewers call him both a shrewd businessman, mm -hmm. but those close to him say he's like a precocious kid, mm -hmm. which is both just the most pandering thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life and so patronizing. But also like it hurts because you know that there's like Spielberg's a completely like he's an adult. He's completely complex. He is a mass. He's a master of his art and everything like that. And he's probably right. a good father. He's got a bunch of kids. Yeah. Um, you, you, you can't help but see it even in ET. It gets a little too sweet for me. It gets a little too saccharine. So yeah, it, it's this, it's this idea that like everything can be sugar-coated and magically wiped exactly. away and everything's fine. Exactly. It's totally fine. Like that kid in Jaws that is eaten it's fine because guess what brody and hooper get to go back and they wash up on the shore and they get to go and the, everything's fine mm -hmm. um jaws has a little bit more blood to it than let's say close encounters but close encounters is like the biggest target for just if you're not thinking about it you totally forget the family that he's left behind and that's the <laughs> yeah. magic of it though that's yeah. all the magic of it and that's the storytelling is that like he's he's this um he's also been called a perennial teenager Mm -hmm. uh, and just this precocious kid. So he, he, especially in the 80s, he's this kid that grew up in movies. And so he's going to still have a lot of that spirit and magic to it. And seeing it now, it's nice. A lot more movies should be like that. Mm -hmm. Marvel movies seem cynical compared to Spielberg movies, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah. You know, uh, so because he's not a franchisee, he's not bridging all these movies together. They're just more personal projects. You know, right. Marvel's a machine. Um, what were your elements that you sort of pulled out for childhood? For sure. So um, his moon, which rules his emotions, is in Scorpio, which I'm a Scorpio. It's my sun sign. And I've never identified with it because it's supposed to be a rather like dark, powerful, mysterious yeah. sign. But in this context, his moon is in Scorpio in the fifth house, which is creativity and children again. Um, and rather than being something dark or negative or – I think it just intensifies those emotions, right? Yes. It's just – because really? there's an intensity to emotion specifically with Scorpio. Exactly. Well, it's okay, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just intensifying his emotions. So, I mean, maybe he's a really emotion, emotional guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he makes such emotional, sentimental movies for sure. His, exactly. He's screaming his emotions, I think. Right. For sure. His he's made a divorce movie for millions of people to deal <laughs> with and see. So, yeah, for sure. I would say right. so. Yeah. His ascendant, um, which is kind of like the mask you present to people um, is in cancer, which cancer is the emotional nurturing mothering figure. Going back to that. Right? Yeah. So just those two right there, he's has that emotional nature and he has that nurturing drive. Even in his personal life, just this like real 
nurturing parental figure vibe to him, Absolutely, right? yeah. And in, in, in getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, but discussing E.T. and just watching some of the special yeah. features, you saw it too that he was talking about how, you know, young Drew Barrymore as mm-hmm. Gertie and everything and, and with Michael and Elliot, he felt like he was their father on set after a few months. You know, he was like the father to them. Yeah. And, and was right. able to, and he, you know, he's talking like, he's talking like that when he's only 30, mm-hmm. um, uh, just over 30. And he's acting like the, the father on set, you know, he's the, he's the film daddy to us all right. for sure though. Cause we're like, right. we're weaned on his movies, you know, we're, we're, we're brought up on his movies. So right. in a lot of way it checks out, you know, yeah. he is that fatherly figure. He's a, like a nurturing figure through his films. Yeah. And I don't know how, you know, that, problems he had with his father just going back to that i don't know how you know welcoming he was to spielberg's pursuits or whatnot or if there was any conflict there but yeah right his mars which is kind of like your desires and your drive and your your passions and aggressions um is in capricorn which we've talked about capricorn it's kind of or have we it's in capricorn candy corn no i'm just kidding <laughs> that's bad which is <laughs> Very traditional and structured, similar to um, Saturn. Right. Okay. Um, in the sixth house, which is service and work. And so that's in opposition to his ascendant um, in Cancer, which we had mentioned before. So I don't know what to read into that, but maybe that's why – or maybe that's why he integrates such personal um, emotions and ideas into his work as kind of a way to have those – oppositions work in harmony you know what i mean it's like something he does want to just bridge ties exactly i mean et is the big 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 movie for this one because it's he talks about it as he plainly literally says it's the divorce movie right but he talks about in the same interview where they call him a perennial teenager he Mm -hmm. really um maturely talks about how et is is a a film about emotional ties between people of all races you can see that it, you know, he talks about E.T. as an ambassador of peace. Right. Um, so it's this, you know, career of making these movies in this industry, but all about bridging ties, all about sort of connecting people and trying to provide catharsis for a lot of people. Right. Absolutely. You know, just the nurturing element. Yeah. It's taking some conflict in his early life and using it and turning it into something that's healing by integrating so much of it into his work yeah healing and nurture i think are just big for this yeah Um, absolutely so i think i'll i'll take some time to talk about (laughs) well i'll talk about resident movie expert uh, (laughs) i'm a communication studies major (laughs) um take that um yeah okay so talking sugarland yeah Whoa! I know <laughs> I do. I got this. That <laughs> I butchered it. Sugarland. <laughs> Sugarland. So I have a really bad habit of saying Newfoundland. I know you do. I know. Oh, like she grimaced. By the way, <laughs> for those at home listening, for those who aren't in the room, she grimaced. She didn't like it. I do. I say. I say Newfoundland. Really, it's weird. It's um. It's the same way that I had this like fourth year in my communication studies major. I had this fourth year prof and she would say Obama oh, instead of Obama. Oh, no. That's uh, not even close to being girl. Well, she was tight with Bjork because she was deep into Icelandic oh, whale studies. So Sugarland Express. I did it though. Like Sugarland. Sugar I just wanted to play with it and Sugarland just sounds cool. But it sounds like a Sugar Ray 
cover band. Okay, the Sugarland mm. Express. Uh, the whole motive of that movie. What drives it? The baby reuniting with their child. Reunification. You gotta see the baby. You gotta see the baby. That is one breathtaking. <laughs> that's one breathtaking pursuit <laughs> by Lou Jean and uh, Clovis Cop- and Copland. Clovis. <laughs> Jeez, garlic face himself. <laughs> um, one critic, and I can't, I don't know, it might be A.O. Scott at the New York Times, but he pinned the nail on the donkey's head and tail when he talks about the separation and unification being the two main themes of a lot of early Spielberg movies. You know, mm-hmm. sep- having already been separated from E.T. at one point in time, then he gets reunited. Yeah. All these kind of things. Um, but the whole motive is that, and they're separated by the law, they're separated by their crimes and their prison. Um, their prison sentences and you know they're trying to protect their child but in a lot of ways they're trying to protect their childhood as well there's a beautiful moment um shortly after um you know the key element in that movie that we're talking about the father you know Lou Jean doesn't hear this but threatens to shoot her and then Lou Jean takes care of the cop because he's just uh chained up in the yeah. police car overnight when he's going to be sleeping feeds him KFC feeds him and clothes him yeah. Very motherly. And then they create this sort of, uh, they have this laughing sequence where they basically know, you know, they're denying themselves, but they know it's not going to end well and everything. And Clovis is trying to talk Lugene, not out of it, but saying like, what? but what if we don't get to the baby? And Lugene just doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But then they're in this scene, which is the most, uh, the quietest scene in the movie. It's the domestic scene. You know, they're trying to, you know, it'd be nice to have the baby and reunite the family. And they're watching cartoons. Mm-hmm. And they're both been watching cartoons yeah. and you have this very classic Spielberg shot of the Spielberg face close up, you know, reacting to something. It's his most famous shot. But he's huge with reflections, too. You'll right. see that he's always framing something and he's outside the set and he's framing whatever they're looking at into the window. Or it might not just be that. It just might be reflected. And uh, Wile E. Coyote is literally being projected and reflected onto Clovis and he's like dying. The yeah. Wiley Coyote and he sees his fate in front of him where he's like, oh, he's never going to catch um, the Roadrunner, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to catch the kid. That thing that they want, that he desperately, he desperately wants, they're never going to catch it. It's really plain Jane to see. It's not like a very profound statement or anything like that. Um, and this is long-winded, but I'm just saying he's just realizing their future fate. Right. Um, and it's, completely linked with watching cartoons which is such a child you know intimate but also infantile Mm -hmm. uh thing to sort of draw them back to that those these these parents are essentially just kids so you empathize with these criminals but you realize it's this really bitter moment it's bittersweet of like they had this quiet moment but it's the last night that they'll have before he passes away he dies right right and he's watching cartoons that's his last like moment of peace mm-hmm. so again just like kind of returning to childhood it's bittersweet unlike most of the sentimental saccharine parts of spielberg movies mm-hmm. but um no it's 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 moving in a lot of ways yeah yeah speechless <laughs> no no but i was um just sort of like bridging that and and really to brush over it but that failed communication scene with lou jean and her dad mm-hmm. um it's it's I actually pulled from your notes Mars, which is aggression a little bit. Yeah, like aggression and drive. Aggression and drive, his drive against her nurturing nature, which could be a nurturing nature. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nature versus nurture versus with the cancer element right. that he, she has. So 
really in concrete, you know, filmic and, you know, just the character and the dialogue in those elements with the astrology, just essentially pairing them. It's just right. Mar he's representing Mars. She's representing Cancer. Um and that opposition, those forces that are yeah, yeah. And even looking back to our earlier discussion, you know, her father's representing tradition and structure and what is right, and is watching yeah, yeah. what his daughter's doing, which is just trying to get her child back. So yeah. it's that it's, yeah. it's again that conflict between. You'd think he'd empathize with that. Exactly. <laughs> you'd think. You'd think. But yeah, just exactly that. The um, it ties even back to that. Not necessarily good and evil in the sense that we talked about it earlier, but skewing that a little differently between, yeah. you know, the structure, them breaking the law, but that directly conflicting with um, her emotional drive as a mother. Yeah. And what – and that's the thing of these – digging into this in an astrological sense is funny. Is that mm. dumb to say in an astrological sense? What would be a more – I don't know. I don't know. Just comparing. Fine. Just I know. It. I know. Just comparing. It sounds like we're going to the moon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in in this sense, though, you can actually you can sort of see it that like there's it just sort of shines a bit more light on what you could say is just like pure evil, pure good, or something yeah. like that. Where Sugarland is Sugarland is a much <laughs> more complicated movie than let's yeah. say uh, ET. But talking about that cartoon scene in the RV, just bouncing off your interpretation of Clovis's kind of state at that time and what he was seeing in that is how different that was from Lujine's reaction to the cartoon. I'm pretty sure she's hysterical. She's laughing. She's she enjoying it. She just wants it. sound. She's like, I wish we had sound. Yeah. And, and he, well, and then, yeah, the, he cuts in. It's a, It goes from a two shot with the cartoon in the middle and then they cut to him with the reflective shot. They you come in a little bit. You know, it's a close-up, medium mm -hmm. close-up. And he just looks, his face drops. Yeah. He's watching the cartoon and he realizes that he's Wiley e. Coyote. He's not going to catch up. Yeah. But against that, in that moment, Lujine just seems so naive and, and childlike in that way. And she's the only one for sure because Clovis continuously says, and, and the, the cop is agreeing with them. And eventually they all sort of get along so well that she kind of hears the cop out. Right. Where it's like, we're not going to get the kid. And she just doesn't. Until, like, she still has this blind hope and blind faith that they will, like, up until, you know. Like, the end. <laughs> I mean, she pushes, she kind of pushes him out of the car to his death when he's like, I'm not, I'm not getting out there. And she's like, no, well, then I will. And then he's like, okay, well, I will. Yeah. And then the cop doesn't want, you know, they, they, they are on to it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's that tunnel vision, but it's because she it's that believer style, you know, mm -hmm. just so nurturing and, and just wanting the kid, just a one mind track. Right. One track mind. One track mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, towards reunifying. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, what else can we say? I mean, I know that we were sort of, we were really going hard on E.T. and talking about how, I mean, it's it's almost just so clear to it talk is, about. E.T.'s e phone home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yearning for that nostalgia and that yeah. childhood and that feeling of belonging well and that's the main huge. thing was reuniting with his home yeah instead of a child exactly yeah. yeah exactly yeah um in smaller details of that movie just sort of thinking that like elliot dresses et up at one point in the closet yeah and it's a really cute scene and uh they they talk about their experience you know michael and elliot in the garage um they're talking about 
sort of old times with that and they did popcorn and they go to the movies i think or something like that something with popcorn mm -hmm. um and immediately before that they're talking about that and then i'm you know he's in this like sort of large overcoat and a tie mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know he's dressing him uh, he's dressing et up in his dad's clothes right and it's sort of like he's taking right. the role of the father because he's literally wearing the clothes he's like wearing the father suit and he's filling that void of some nurturing element some different element than the mother and mm -hmm. everything like that not that the mother's doing a poor job you know in in many movies the mothers are the the kind you know immediately nurturing healing elements to that and bridge the whole family together and that, that and that's the glue but it's coming in undone a bit you know it seems like a recent divorce mm -hmm. in et and everything um so this little cute baby alien <laughs> that's an old man for sure the guy looks like a senior Wrinkly. I know. I've I've always She doesn't think he's cute. I've it's cute as hell. I mean, this is not something I like to admit, but <laughs> you what know you this mean? well is that I didn't watch ET for the first time until I was what, 21. So you're not going to think it's cute then. And I've just it's pretty cute. I've seen images of ET throughout my entire life, but I've just always thought he was the creepiest looking little thing. It's funny though because I mean, no one would have seen Baby Yoda until a little while ago, and I don't know if we're just conditioned to think that Yoda's cute. Baby Yoda is um, clearly cuter than E.T., but Yoda – but, like, I would just wonder, what if there's, like, a baby baby E.T.? Do you know what they have to do? They just have to give him the big puppy dog eyes. That's it. That's all you have to do. A little bit of that. Puss in Boots? Do you remember that scene in Shrek when Puss in Boots – no, you haven't seen it. <laughs> no, I've seen the commercials. <gasps> okay. Where Puss in Boots gets the – Is that Shrek 2? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Shrek 2. Yeah, too. he gets the big eyes. So it melts in, in my heart. So in next week's episode, we're going to talk about – Shrek 2. Yes. <laughs> and Mike Myers nailed that all chart. <laughs> Sounds um, <laughs> in Shrekland. 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 <laughs> no, um, E.T.'s cute. For one, E.T.'s cute. Yes. No, but he also and? represents um, – he just represents that void that, that the family's trying to fill. He's that glue. Right. Um, it's this domestic bliss scene that he's being dressed up in where Gertie and um, – I said that really weird. But Gertie and, and Mary, who's the mom, they're having that really adorable thing where they're clapping their hands and right. they're believing in the fairies. And, and it's a children's story. And so you can't get more any, any more categorically, you know, childhood innocence vibe from For that. For sure. For um, sure. And – I'm slowly losing my mind. We've been recording for so long. <laughs> but they're, um, E.T. and Elliot are watching this silently through uh, the blinds, the shutters right. in the closet. Imagine like lines of a screen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They're almost like it's almost being projected onto them through the light coming through that they're watching this thing that they can't even reach either because, yeah, he's just dressed up his alien uh, imaginary friend kind of kind of thing you know in his dad's clothes and mm -hmm. he's just he's doing this kind of you know it's it, it is really when you really dig into it again it's it, it seems black and white it seems so innocent but it's truly heartbreaking because you know this isn't going to be you know you can see that kid who's got the imaginary friend that he's dressing up or something like that that he's right. pretending to dress up and seeing his younger sister who's still in the bloom of her childhood and she doesn't really get what's going on right so yeah it's just creating this like nice surrogate family yeah in a large part um and then really briefly in for free e. team michael the older brother he sleeps in the closet he sleeps in elliot's closet at one point in time mm -hmm. and is surrounded by all these children's toys and all these plush dolls that you would assume that might be hand hand-me-downs to mm -hmm. elliot so he's again trying to return back to the nostalgia of childhood through in, in in a really traumatic 
experience, right? Right. Um, Often in a lot of these movies, protecting the child both involves the childhood Mm -hmm. and the child itself itself geez. <laughs> but the child the child him him or herself you right. know um brody's kid yeah you know exactly. you want to keep the kids innocent uh and you also want to keep them alive yeah it's directly linked and you said that i can't remember but what was pushing something to the life and death it's that saturn pluto conjunction yeah it's actually it's pushing that to the extreme so it's the theme of childhood but it's the death of childhood as well you know it's the death and the loss of innocence is actually completely tied to, you know, if Elliot Elliot's loss of innocence with the divorce and, and with the ET and everything like that, Elliot's going to die. Elliot's like losing his life because of his connection to this alien that is then really part of his childhood. Right. It's losing his childhood. It's losing a part of his childhood and everything like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, it's pushing it to those extremes with life and death. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's, it's sort of like painting in really broad strokes. He's not subtle. Um, but linked with all these astrology details, it is quite subtle. If I don't say it, it's actually (laughs) like pretty good. So, um, but that was it. Yeah. In Close Encounters, obviously Dreyfus is surrounded by all these alien babies. So he's got a new, he's taken in like a child. Do you know what I mean? He's got a new surrogate family too. He abandons his family and then he becomes a kid. He becomes this, like in this mental state where he just has this one track mind. Thank you. Of just trying to get to the mountain. Right. Yeah. So he becomes like a kid in himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to know their language. He's taken in like a new son. I think that just about wraps it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was fun to go hard for like two hours on Speely. I know. Really. I thought I definitely thought the whole time I'm like, oh, maybe we need more. I we're same. only doing five. Well, movies. to be perfectly honest, yeah, we were like, we need more themes. We talked and we really yeah. pared it down. So yeah. sorry if this seemed like uh, a huge study cram session and just so much information overload. We're going to be paring it down. Uh, I mean, this is in the middle of this. We realized that we had to do two, two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> so it'll cut somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, we just wanted to have a real natural, fun discussion about. What is ultimately sort of like my, obviously, you bridge childhood in Spielberg. Yeah, like the passing yeah. of nostalgia, the nostalgia specifically for Jurassic Park, the nostalgia for, uh, I mean, I really like it's mostly Jurassic Park with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, she's grimacing. You can't hear that on mic. Um, no, no, no. Like, I mean, yeah. Is there anything, what's for your childhood? What's the film? that really like that i watched and just ate yeah up. that defines your childhood hmm. for me it's Jurassic park for sure and phantom menace for sure for sure i uh i was a little too young for both of those That's fine yeah. i think um i mean it's not i wasn't even born before jp came out but i know but just in terms of movies you put on again and again it was or whatever yeah uh, monsters inc <laughs> yeah whoa and i know I think like a lot I'm of saying for the mic as well. I'm <laughs> kidding. I love it. I think like a lot of people my age, Hocus Pocus. Was, I probably watched <laughs> that's huge. Like that's awesome. I probably watched that ten times a year. Whoa! Yeah, like almost once a month. That's so funny because uh, look, Jurassic Park. You can put that on any season. Hocus Pocus. Halloween. A little spooky. You want to get spooky all year I know, round? I know. <laughs> that's yeah. cute as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. <laughs> I hope 
everyone had fun listening to it. Yeah. And just with the understanding that like I'm not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> the wise sage is being humble. Learn. I'm no. trying to learn as much as I can. So if any errors were made, I apologize. Yeah, to the, send your hate mail. The, <laughs> 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 I apologize to the to the skies and the planets and the For sure. Stars. And I'll get a better tagline potentially that's not too uh, wordy. <laughs> we'll work on it. <laughs> um yeah. That was part two that we didn't really know that. Yeah, Spielberg, Fiber of our Primer. Spielberg. So it might seem a little um, incongruous between the two of them, but um, we're just working out the kinks of this, and it was super fun. Yeah, we're trying it out. You're drinking on mic. You can't hear it. <laughs> no, I could hear it a bit. It doesn't really matter at all. <laughs> Sounds gross. The probably. holes get blocked up because you can't really hear stuff when you're drinking. It's true science what if i just ended like that i like truth bombs i like ending on scientific truth bombs no this was super fun um we're working out the details of our second director that we're going to pick up um and study but it will be a little bit more digestible than this one. Oh my god yeah. i think we're going to be only looking at three movies um it's going to be fun as hell so yeah with that that was the that was the true first episode the whole completion of it this is part two of the Steven Spielberg Fiverr Primer. Um, yeah, any of these movies, if you haven't checked them out, they're amazing. They're all You can't go wrong with any of them. Michelle's silently praising them, nodding, yes. Um, and they were super fun. This has been super fun to talk about, and, and uh, we're going to just keep learning and everything like that throughout the process. So, yeah, ending on, ending on a really impactful note, Spielberg releases Schindler's List in 1993. Um, and through that is the creation of the Shoah Foundation, which if you don't know what it is, just look it up. There's no other better way to experience what it is. A lot of testimonials about Holocaust survivors. In a recent interview that he does with Lester Holt uh, during the 25th anniversary of Schindler's List, uh, Spielberg describes the Shoah Foundation as that it does its best to counter hate through reaching out and trying to teach people about empathy, respect, and understanding through testimony. And I think that's a real nice way to cap off uh, this discussion of his movies that, you know, teach empathy and respect and understanding. It's the communication. It's, you know, identifying with the good guy. And it's the bridging everything back to childhood where everything does seem simpler. But children often are the ones who show empathy when we learn not to as adults and everything like that. So there's a lot of really important lessons to be learned through Spielberg movies and studying them. And um, he does wonderful um, foundational work into all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's my messy bleeding heart ending to sort of really embody Spielberg as well. He's like a really important filmmaker to me and someone that like has been deeply rewarding to study Mm -hmm. because as much as you know him as a kid, there's still just as many lessons to learn about filmmaking itself mm-hmm. and about Jesus, just how to communicate and love other people. Cause that's all about, that's all it is. E.T. is an ambassador for peace. Um, and so is this podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> we're all about love and empathy and respect here. So you bet. Um, that was it. That was Map to the Stars. Nice. Bye. Bye.